I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. After the Apocalypse, a pandemic survival story. Season 2, Episode 20, Overwatch. A pair of sparrows made indignant noises in the tree overhead, and a gray squirrel chittered from a low branch as Mag settled into a prone position on a hill overlooking the D.C. She leveled the rifle and squinted through the scope. According to her calculation, it was less than 200 yards from her position, across the slope, the road, and then across the parking lot. She spun the ocular, and a lean, rat-faced man came into focus. He was reclined against a cement pillar, smoking. You look pretty relaxed for a man in your situation, she thought to herself as she turned the elevation knob on the scope. An inch or two in either direction could make a difference in the upcoming action. She wished she had a couple practice rounds, but this wasn't practice. But it wasn't her first time at the range. She slowly scanned left and right and up and down and checked the whole area. There was another man by the entrance and another two on the roof. She sighed. Let's hope they have sense. Mags wasn't entirely convinced about this plan. The first part had gone well enough. They were able to separate a contingent of the bad guys and eliminate them. To the pragmatist dinner, it seemed counterproductive to be killing people and destroying property when so little of humanity was left. K.J. was convinced it was necessary. Indeed, K.J. was black and white about it. K.J. had no doubt at all. Mags was starting to get a bit concerned about K.J.'s zealousness for killing these men. Mags had seen it before. That unhinged look in the eye when a soldier came back to the base after a difficult, bloody mission. Like they were a holy warrior of some sort. Like the killing had gone beyond duty and crawled under their skin to become some dark, festering purpose. The dark fire in the soul that animated these warriors and subjugated their reason. That was when they had to be taken off the front line before they did something stupid or awful. But these were unique times. Maybe a bit of holy war was all that would keep them from the brink. She sighed and flicked a wandering ant off the gunstock. K.J. had wanted to follow up the firebombing with a frontal assault. Mags had argued that it wasn't a good strategy. She knew for a frontal assault to be successful, you needed to have an overwhelming advantage, an advantage in numbers or weaponry. They had neither. 
K.J. had argued that surprise and her conviction to see these men dead would be enough of a difference. The old man had broken the tie with some aphorism about battlefields filled with dead armies who had possessed outstanding esprit de corps but lacked tactical advantage. He had even started reciting Tennyson's Charge of the Light Brigade before they could shut him up and come up with an alternative plan. And now she was here on Overwatch. In her mind, this new plan still had too many points of failure. Mags had argued for a simple siege where they could buy their time and pick off anyone careless from a distance and maybe draw some more of them out into the open. K.J. would not have it. They had to act now. She argued that they had to act while they still had the advantage. Who knew what the situation would be in a week? Would they start killing people in the D.C., using them as human shields? They guessed there might be 50 women, children, and men in the dormitories of the D.C., and K.J. wanted them to have a chance. These people were vulnerable and needed to be helped. Mags couldn't argue with that. K.J. was right. Who knew what the situation would be in a week? The old man had said something about, In war, time is the enemy. And they came to a compromise plan. Mags hated compromise plans. This was a compromise. The old man would go in the back, eliminate any rear guards, and take up a position on the roof. Mags would move into Overwatch with her scoped rifle. Janet, Becca, and Willie would go in the front. Hopefully, the enemy would realize they were surrounded and outflanked. Mags plucked a tuft of dead grass, extended her arm up, released it, and watched it flutter chaotically to the ground. She adjusted the windage a bit and again wished she could fire off just one practice shot to calibrate. She scanned the area, looking for something that would help her make her point, and settled on a large metal parking sign that announced, Reserved for Director. She looked at her watch. By now, the old man would be moving into place. It wasn't that hard for the old man to find his way through the fence and around the back of the distribution center. He knew the lay of the land well now. He checked his watch. Crap, he thought, and turned to address Bill. Come on, dog, we're running late. Bill the dog stayed low and stealthy. The dog clearly knew what to do. They moved into the shadow of the building and skirted the wall toward the back entrance. Bill froze and fixed his attention towards the door. The old man patted the dog's head and in a low voice said, Good boy, let's see what we have. He pulled the field glasses from his vest and confirmed what the dog was alerting to. There was a man posted at the door. He checked his watch. It had been close to an hour since they started out. K.J. and Mags should be in their assigned positions. Mags on the southwest hill, looking over the D.C., couldn't see the back of the building. He would have to take care of this himself. He didn't want to rush things, but he knew K.J. was out there looking at her own watch and champing at the bit to move in. What was the old saying? Hurry up and screw up. He hoped she'd stick to the plan and not blow it. 
He needed to secure the roof before KJ made her move. And they were cutting it close. The old man unslung his crossbow and made ready. He used the parked cars and vans for cover to get close. He motioned the dog to hold and stealthily inched his way forward. The guard at the back door never saw it coming. One minute, he was rubbing the sleep out of his eyes, wishing he had had time to grab a cup of coffee and swatting a fly away from his face. The next minute, he was twitching on the ground with a crossbow bolt in his throat. He was already a corpse as he tried to rise. He stumbled a bit, as if confused. He clawed awkwardly at the feathered shaft and collapsed, gurgling blood to the cement sidewalk. The old man whistled softly for the dog and moved past the body towards the metal fire escape that led to the roof. Becca was positioned behind her vehicle about three car lengths to KJ's left. Willie pulled in a few seconds later and took up a similar position on the right. KJ knew the two women were probably useless with those guns, even if they had the courage to fire them. But it was all a bit of theater anyhow. A big bluff to bring these dirtbags to their knees. KJ was all business and didn't take Harlan's bait when he joked about duck hunting. I'm going to give you an opportunity to surrender, she stated flatly. Harlan cocked an eyebrow and let out one quick jovial laugh. Okay, Missy, thank you for that. But why would I surrender to you? KJ shrugged. You want to live? Harlan's tone turned more serious. All I see is three broads with pheasant guns. How about instead of surrendering, I tell my men to give you a few dozen new holes. It was then that Janet noticed the two men on the roof. Something was wrong. The old man hadn't made it into position, but the die was cast. Too late to back out now. She'd have to play the card she had. Shit, shit, shit. Mags cursed under her breath. She quickly scanned the scene. The old man hadn't made it into place. There still were two men on the roof. Shit! What was she supposed to do now? KJ and her team were in place. Don't panic, woman, Mags told herself. Remember the training. Mags focused, slowing her breathing and heart rate. She waited. She saw KJ raise her hand. That was a signal. Mags exhaled, waited for the silence between heartbeats, and pulled the trigger. The barking sign next to Harlan and Carl shook with a metal bang and dust fell from it. A wisp of smoke curled from the new hole. Carl ducked. Harlan winced. KJ smiled. We've got you outflanked and outgunned, KJ said, using her best corporate lawyer bluff skills. Harlan looked at her hard. He'd been in plenty of poker games in his life with hard men that would make this tough-acting woman look like a Girl Scout. Killing unarmed parking signs don't impress me, honey. He stepped forward into the shadow with a burnt-out Humvee and raised his own gun. I think you're bluffing. The old man was able to get Bill up into the fire escape platform with some difficulty. They made their way up the rusty metal stairs towards the roof. He heard the cars come in. Shit! 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 He thought. He looked at his watch. This wasn't good. This 
wasn't good. He hurried to the top of the stairs. The steps ended in a small platform, and there was a short ladder to the roof. The old man scrambled up the rungs and peeked over the top. There was a man with an automatic rifle behind sandbags, intently watching the scene in the parking lot. The rest of the roof was blocked from view by a large HVAC unit. Time to get into this fight. What about the dog? Damn it! What about the damn dog? The dog would be a sitting duck on that fire escape. The old man slid down to the platform and awkwardly lifted the big dog into a fireman's carry. Could have found a Pomeranian or a Dachshund, but no. He grunted, lifted, and began struggling up the short ladder. Low and right, Mags thought to herself as she chambered another round and adjusted her scope. Oh, Janet, she thought. This was a mistake. The lean man with a greasy ponytail moved out of her line of sight behind the burnt-out truck. God help us. She prayed and scanned for her next target. The old man huddled with Bill against the HVAC unit and took aim at the man behind the sandbags. He heard the bang of the bullet hitting the sign and the muffled thump of Mag's rifle from the hill. The man in front of him dropped to his belly. That was bad. The old man didn't have a good angle. It wouldn't do them any good to shoot the guy in the ass. The old man stood up straight, braced himself against a metal box, and aimed at a spot between the shoulder blades where the heart should be. The crossbow bolt sank in, and the man screamed. But while screaming, he whirled around. Bullets perforated the sheet metal around the old man and the dog as they hugged the roof and tried to get small. It was chaos. Harlan dove for cover. KJ fired her shotgun and dropped behind the car. Carl felt a hot sting of buckshot on his shoulder and swore. He aimed at where KJ was hiding and fired a burst. More buckshot rattled around him and cracked the glass of the door as one of the other women added to the fight. Harlan was motioning that Carl to move sideways and get a better angle at KJ. Carl nodded with a look of white-hot anger. Mags tried to stay calm. She needed to prioritize her targets. She scanned the front. Janet was pinned down. Mags didn't have a shot at those two men. She scanned the roof. The one guard was on his back, firing wildly at something behind the big metal box. She exhaled and pulled. The old man was frantically pulling the tension back into his crossbow and slotting another bolt. I'm really going to have to get a gun. There was another muffled rifle shot, and the frantic firing from the wounded guard ceased. The dog growled. The old man fell back. The shadow of another man rounded the corner of the HVAC unit behind them, lowering his rifle. With a deep growl, the dog lunged. The man yelled in surprise. Rifle shots scrubbed gravel from the roof around them. Carl crept from one cement pillar to the next. He could see the outline of the woman crouched behind the car. He wasn't sure if she had used both barrels of that over-under, but he didn't care. Another shot from the woman behind the car on his left blew a hole in the window above his head. Amateurs! He made eye contact with Harlan, who nodded calmly and returned fire. Carl pulled a big knife out of his sheath and braced himself. This is gonna be sweet, he thought. 
Carl balanced the rifle on the ground and held the trigger, emptying the rest of his clip where the woman was hiding. He dropped the gun and sprang forward. The big dog moved so fast, he was just a ferocious blur of fur and canines as the old man rolled across the roof, seeking whatever cover was available. Bill clamped his big jaws on the intruder's gun arm and shook ferociously. The rifle dropped, and the man fell under the weight of the dog's attack, trying to protect his neck and face and get free. He would not get free from this. The dog had transformed into a mad berserker of an animal, like some mythic avenging monster from a scaldic legend. Terrible, ferocious, without limit, and wonderful. The old man scrambled to his feet. K.J. tried to roll away from the attack and grab her knife, but Carl was too fast. He had too much momentum. She barely had time to put a hand up and turn her face as a meaty fist landed on the side of her head, and she saw stars. The man dragged her to her feet, holding her close like a rag doll, using her for cover. Drop your weapons and come out in the open, he screamed like a wild animal. Harlan stood, too. He took a quick look up and saw that the men on the roof were gone. Listen here, ladies. He shouted loud enough for everyone to hear. Carl and I are going to take this car and leave. You're going to stay put or she dies. Once we're clear, we'll let her go. KJ tried to force the buzzing out of her head. She had a flashback to the camper in the woods. She knew this man. She remembered his smell. This pig had already tried to kill her. Don't do it. She started to shout, but... Carl closed a big hand on her windpipe so that the last words were choked off. He pushed his knife into the flesh under her eye. A drop of blood ran down her cheek as a crimson tear. Carl pulled her closer, and she could feel his hot breath on her ear. Let me do the talking, sweetheart. You and I are going to have plenty of time to get reacquainted later. Mags couldn't see the lean man behind the truck. She could barely see the big man with a scar holding Janet. She kept the crosshairs on him, but he kept moving. She could only see the corner of his profile. It was too tight. She didn't have the shot. Damn it, there isn't enough room. Mags took a deep breath and blew it out. Everything seemed to slow down. She had made harder shots in her life. She said a quick prayer in her head and slowly squeezed the trigger. The image in her scope jumped. Harlan spoke loudly again. Ladies, be reasonable. You don't have to die. You won. We lost. We're just going to leave now. You get the whole shebang for yourselves. He paused. No one else needs to die. Do we have a deal? Carl turned to look at Harlan, about to say something that never got said, as a side of his head exploded and sprayed a wet blanket of gore onto Harlan's face. Harlan gasped with true shock. K.J. pivoted and slung the collapsing corpse into Harlan. Harlan stumbled and fell backward. She moved as he hit the ground. He wrestled in horror with Carl's bloody bulk and tried to break free. K.J. grabbed his dropped shotgun and pointed it at his head. Harlan scrambled backwards, raising one hand in a pleading motion. Easy, lady. You got me. I give up. Janet! 
the old man yelled as he emerged from the office building entrance with a dog. Her eyes seemed to lose some of their hardness and a look of resignation came to her face. She spun Harlan's fancy shotgun around and bashed him in the head with it before he could react. He slumped against a concrete pillar. You all right? The old man asked. Yeah, just another day at the office, she said and smiled as she wiped a bloody residue of Carl from her face. He was going to have to keep an eye on her. She was starting to go native on him. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome back, my survivor friends. This is your host, Mad Dog, coming at you from the pollen-soaked hills of early summer in New England. The Pollen Apocalypse, which would be a good name for a flower power punk band, huh? Don't you think? Anyhow, this, my friends, has been episode 20, the final episode of season two. I know, I know. We have some loose ends in the narrative, but not too many. Not too many. And I've always operated under the assumption that you folks are smart enough to live with a certain amount of uncertainty. And as I will talk about below, that uncertainty is actually has value. It has a payoff. We'll talk about this. It's designed in. It's a feature, not a flaw. So this was a fun season. We got to make some new friends. We got to establish some new locations, those centers of gravity that I talk about. And we got to develop our main character arcs a little bit. Uh, we, I already started mapping season three. Last night I had a session with my, my uh, editors on that. My intention is still to go five seasons in this series, so we're two in. And I realize I was a week late in pushing out this episode. And I have excuses, but I won't bore you with them because you especially you binge listening at some point in the future, don't care. <laughs> what do you care about? Well, it's what's happening next, so let's get to that. Season 2 is a wrap. Now we'll take a break and start building Season 3. It's like the old days when people used to take the whole summer off. Remember that? People used to take time off. 
And it's good for me because it's summertime in New England and I'm, I'm training for a race and I'm relocating to Cape Cod for the summer. And so, you know, our show, we're investing in our show. So fear not, during this break, we shall be working on new and wonderful things. I already have turned the season two scripts over to my friendly copy editor in Jamaica, and she will turn them, copy edit them into a manuscript. And when I get that back, I'll be looking for readers to typo hunt that manuscript, probably in a couple of weeks, two, three weeks. I'll probably put season two up on the Kindle Vela site as well as a serial because it doesn't cost me anything and it allows me to build more audience over there. Uh, it is time to turn the season one manuscript into an actual book. And I have recruited from our membership right here, you guys, uh, six of you have stepped up to be beta readers so far. And uh, that's going to be a big help. I'll probably try to, <laughs> I'm afraid to do this, but I'll probably put a pre-order date of the end of the year on this first book because, hey, don't we all work better with deadlines, huh? And if you want to be a beta reader, which is really hard for a guy from Boston to say beta reader, because I want to put that R on the first one and take the R away from the second one. I want to say beta reader. <laughs> so join the mailing list that it's in the links. Shoot me an email. Message me on Facebook. It's all in the links. Uh, the links will be here, and they're also uh, in the um, in the show notes. And you'll be hearing from me if you do that. All right. But fear not. That fear. Don't fear this ever widening gate. This gap of silence on the podcast feed because we're going to fill it in. We're going to take steps to fill sandbags and stack them into a dike of fresh new content to hold you over. While I'm lying in the hammock, I will salt in a number of other content pieces to this podcast feed. I'm doing some interviews, uh, somewhere I'm getting interviewed and somewhere I'm interviewing. And when you see these in the feed, I'll clear, clearly identify them in the title with the word interview or whatever. So you won't make an, uh, an ill-informed decision. You can be responsible adults as to what you listen to. I'm also collaborating with Mike Darling from the Apocalypse Post. You remember Mike on another storyline. This is that from that contest we had on, on Facebook. And I've storyboarded it out, and it's developing into this great, I'm calling it Alien MacGuffin Noir. <laughs> and again, I'll make sure to label it so you know the difference. I'm also creating new cover art. You may have seen this, new cover art for each season of the podcast, and I'm going to take a look at the theme music as well. So that's the plan. Feel free to reach out to me if you have any other brilliant ideas for fun stuff to, for us to work on or fun places to get involved, spread the word. I'm open to it. I do have some other fantastic milestones to share with you this week. First... Last week when I checked the downloads, we had uh, we peaked out at 17,000 downloads for that 30-day period. And that's pretty cool. That's awesome. So let's keep getting that word of mouth out. If you are in any Facebook groups or Discord groups or the forums, go ahead and drop our show link in there and say, Hey, guys, go listen to this, and we'll scare up some more survivors to, to have fun with. And that was number one. <laughs> B, all right, one B. We now have 165 members in our Facebook bunker. 
from all over the world, and it's awesome. We're having some good, clean fun, and it gives me a place to exercise my odd sense of humor. Third, we had people asking to support the show through Patreon, and we have one of those, and I appreciate the help. Links are in the show notes. You can go there and do subscriptions, or I think you can do one-time donations. Like I said, all these links are in the show notes. And D... Four, we also have folks showing off their cool after-the-apocalypse apparel items from the uh, Tee Public store, which is fun. Fun to see. And all these links are in this, in the metadata on this MB3 file and also in the show notes. So that's where you can find salvation to your apocalypse woes while we're in between seasons. Now let's, let's talk about something fun. Let's talk about the road. I was reminded this week by my friend Dan, not Mike, Mike, it wasn't you, it was Dan, of the 2006 apocalyptic novel, The Road by Cormac McCarthy, not not On the Road by beat writer Jack Kerouac, who was a different person on a different journey, maybe a shade less apocalyptic. And by the way, Jack Kerouac and I were born in the same city, Lowell, Massachusetts, But that's a story of a different day. Today's story is about the apocalypse of Cormac McCarthy. My friend, Dan, sent me a note. He said, have you read this? And I said, of course I have. I loved it. So let me wax or potentially wane poetically about the road. So it's odd that there are a few moments in your life that you remember very precisely. And it's odd because you forget most of them, right? But a few you remember. And I remember first learning about the road very clearly. I was in Logan Airport in Boston. I was sitting in the A terminal waiting on a flight and there was a discarded Boston Globe newspaper on the seat next to me, the entertainment section. And this would have been 2006 before all the physical newspapers were outlawed by the alien overlords. I was an avid physical newspaper reader, so I snatched it up. And I began reading the book reviews, like you do when you're stuck in the airport waiting for a plane. There was this positive review of this book, The Road. And I remember being somewhat electrified by that discovery, because this book was clearly right in my sweet spot. Apocalypse? Check. Well-written? Check. And I think I may have even torn that little corner of the newspaper off or at least taken a note so I wouldn't forget. And I bought a hard copy of that book when I got a chance. And I loved it. Why? Well, of course, the apocalypse is my jam. But that's not what makes this book special. What makes this book special is the writing. The prose is powerful and wonderful. There are certain scenes that are just seared into my brain from this book. Actually, many scenes, because the writer did such a good job of putting you into the character's minds, into the character's shoes, and you are not observing the horror of the apocalypse. You are living that horror with them. It is the excellence of the prose, the construction, the word choice that makes this work. And the other thing I love about the writing in this book is the sparseness of it. And this is where it comes back around to my conversation with you earlier. Cormac doesn't give endless exposition about who these people are, what's happening to them, what they're doing, what they're doing next, where they're going. He gives you 
just enough to construct your own narrative. And this pulls you in as you give pieces of yourself to fill in the gaps in that sparseness of the writing. It pulls you in. So yeah, I don't need to tell you everything. I just need to give you the canvas to write it yourself. Here's an example, right? Now, I'm assuming this was the aftermath of a nuclear war, but he never says that. He describes one scene where the bodies and the suitcases of the fleeing refugees are melted into the road, as an example. He doesn't have to tell us that it was the heat from a nuke. Somehow I assume that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe somebody else assumed something else. But that's my that's how I became co-creator of the story. Another example is this is the protagonist, the man with no name, right? He's progressively becoming more and more sick as the story progresses. And Cormac never tells us why he's sick or what the sickness is, but I assume radiation poisoning. That's just my assumption. Somebody else might have assumed something different. And these are the ways my mind filled in the sparseness of the prose. And in this way, it becomes my story. And I am now on the inside as a partner in the creation of the narrative. I own it. And I often run into this in the editing process when my editors, they want me to add more detail to a scene. And I push back sometimes because I believe you, the listeners, are smart and engaged. You are capable of filling in the details. And it really doesn't matter to the narrative whether you have your own vision or not. That is more than okay. That is great because now you're a partner in the creation, a co-owner. And the movie wasn't bad either. It In the screenplay, they went with this sort of, not black and white, but sepia tone and digitally... Uh, removed all the greenery from it, any life from it. And this not only simulates the grayness of that apocalyptic universe, but also the sparseness of the prose, right? It's a visual sparseness. It's not perfect, but it comes close. Uh, Vigo Mortensen does a good job as as the man. They filmed it in Pennsylvania, believe it or not, for tax breaks. But also in Pennsylvania, there's a lot of ready-made apocalyptic settings like abandoned cold fields and, uh, and parts of Pittsburgh. Some, some scenes were actually filmed on Presque Island, believe it or not. And that is a state park where I ran a marathon in 2013. So yeah, if they told me it was the apocalypse, I might have run faster. So that's how I'm going to take you out, my friends, for episode 20. I I won't be a stranger, and I hope you are not as well. Check the show notes for the links. And above all, my friends, keep surviving.